Well, we're going to start something new on the OHL podcast this week, and that is your prospect of the week. And when I mentioned this to Dan Mahar, he's the guy over there, by the way. Find him on Twitter, at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter, at Farwell underscore OHL. I just kind of floated this idea to Dan by text, and he's like, oh, I like that idea. And here's the guy I have in mind for my prospect of the week. And I said, wait a minute, that's the same guy I've got in mind. So either great minds think alike or fools seldom differ. However, we'll get to that later on in this episode of the OHL podcast. We've also got some email in the inbox to get to. Send it anytime. Questions, guest suggestions, feedback for us two knuckleheads, whatever you want. OHL podcast at rogers.com. But I guess, Dan, if we're going to start this and we're thinking about prospects to finish it with, what about the kid that came into this league as an exceptional player who seems to be having no problem whatsoever getting acclimatized to life in the Ontario Hockey League as a 15-year-old? Michael Misa, eight goals, 14 points in his first 10 games in this league. Well, that's certainly reestablishing the argument for the label of, of exceptional player that we talked about in the previous pod. He, everything he's done so far has been exceptional, and it's it's probably a good thing for the league and for the optics that if they're going to grant this status, that they have this type of result. So, uh, but I just can't say enough about a 15 year old kid that's able to come into a league like this and do what he has done so far, whether or not he keeps up this pace is, is irrelevant. Uh, the start has just proven we are dealing with a player here. Well, and, and the pace I think on this team makes it stand out a little bit as well. I mean, I don't know where necessarily other than Misa, I guess the goals are coming from Minchikov. You and I talked about, I think just last week on the podcast about the season that he's having himself, but nobody expected Saginaw to be really even in the conversation. I know it's early. All of the things we're talking about now are early, but they're scoring in bunches. So maybe it's just a, an idea of, you know, let the horses run wild. We got some thoroughbreds here. Well, I, I'm a big advocate as a fan of hockey, as a form of entertainment. I'm a big advocate for anyone that takes the reins off and lets their, their horses run because that's what we're here to watch. And, you know, we'll, especially at the junior level, we'll take a few mistakes. We'll, we'll see those things just to see some excitement and some entertainment. Let them, let them play, let them freewheel. And, uh, and while we're on the Saginaw topic, how about just a quick shout for uh, Joey Willis? Like there's a player out of nowhere putting up big numbers, uh, 17 year old hockey player when we talk about prospects coming up uh that that's a guy that's very much under the radar a name that no one knows too much but when you put up 12 points in your first 10 games as a 17 year old on a team that wasn't expected to do much uh someone needs to take note so with misa eight goals as we said 14 points in his first 10 games just for poops and giggles i took a look back at the numbers from some previous exceptional players and you and i have already agreed by the way that exceptional is probably the wrong label let's just call them early entrants or something like that to the ontario hockey league yeah i think that's fair and and you're dealing with in a lot of cases and we go back to some of the previous ones like sean day uh where the physical maturation happened earlier. So you've got a player who maybe it's not exceptional. It's just an early entrant because regardless of the birth date was maybe a year or two ahead of his peer group in, in the development. So may not continue that path as we saw with, uh, with some others. I mean, Shane Wright kind of leveled off to some extent relative to where he was at 15. So, so you never know where these development curves are going to go, but I think that's a fair label, the early entrant. So, in fairness, I left Day, Chikrin, Ekblad out of this equation, but just for fun. And again, 
this by no means, I don't think it really means anything. I think it's just fun to look at. So Misa, eight goals, 14 points in his first 10 games in the Ontario Hockey League. How do you think that stacks up against Shane Wright's first 10 games in the Ontario Hockey League? Better or worse? Just strictly by the numbers. That's an excellent question. I'm going to say very, very similar. Uh, you know what? You're right on the mark with that. I thought Wright would have been worse, and he is just marginally. He had four goals, so half the goals and nine points in his first 10 games. Now, we remember with Wright, it was around November into December where he really started lighting it up and then went on this torrid goal-scoring pace. But the most recent exceptional player to Misa, Shane Wright, only nine points in his first 10 games. So five fewer points and four fewer goals. However, you want to go back to a guy by the name of Connor McDavid. In his first 10 games in the Ontario Hockey League, he was basically saying, well, this is easy. 29 points. He was almost three points per game. Nine goals, 20 assists in his first 10 games. And he started his Ontario Hockey League career with a 14-game point streak as a 15-year-old Connor McDavid. And then to go all the way back, John Tavares in his first 10 games in the Ontario Hockey League, 10 goals, so two better than Misa, but only 15 points, five assists. So right along the same numbers as Michael Misa through his first 10 games. Again, does that mean that Michael Misa is the next John Tavares? I'm not saying that at all. I just thought if we're talking about a 15-year-old kid with eight goals and 14 points in 10 games, let's look at some of the other guys that came in as exceptional players. And that's what Wright, McDavid, and Tavares were able to do. Oh, great, great uh, background there, Mike. And I think to some extent, when you look at a player like Shane Wright, some of those predecessors did a disservice to him, really, because people see what someone like Connor McDavid does or John Tavares, and they think, what's this kid doing? He's a bust. He's a failure when he's putting up some pretty impressive numbers. So, so that exceptional label, I think we all have to keep that in mind, that there's a range within the exceptional label, and it doesn't mean that they're they're failing when they don't put up McDavid numbers. But uh, but interesting research. That's a great point that there is that range, and also don't put up McDavid like numbers. Like, doesn't that just tell you who Connor McDavid still like? You watch him today, and we all know what he's capable of. It's incredible. This guy's been doing it essentially his entire life in hockey. Well, I, I just saw the highlight the other night, but he's turned hockey into basketball now. I guess because he's bored, he's dribbling the puck I down the ice on his stick. So when when you get when you're that good that you can get bored with just actually carrying it normally and and trying something new at the NHL level, there's that's exceptional. Okay, worth reminding you again, it is still early. We're about ten percent through the Ontario Hockey League season, but after four weeks, Dan, did you expect? And it took them, mind you a 15-round shootout on Friday to go to 8-0. and Then they won again on Sunday to make it 9-0. and But the Ottawa 67s and Dave Cameron remain unblemished on the Ontario Hockey League season. I don't care who you are. Nine straight at any time, but especially out of the gates, that's impressive as hell. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we each gave Ottawa a bit more love in our preseason pod than some prognosticators, but even, even we didn't have them certainly not at nine and oh, we kind of had them down mid pack. But I think when you look at that roster and we said this a couple of times, there's an awful lot of ability there and you could definitely see the blueprint for some success. So I think there were just too many question marks for fans there. Uh, they had some injury issues last year. Um, I mean, Jack back, what more can you say? He was almost a forgotten man there. He's leading the team in scoring. So you have, 
you have a lot of chips and pieces there that uh, under a good head coach. And uh, so I, I wouldn't say this is shocking, but certainly no one called nine and zero. Yeah. It, and it might be, again, considering it's early, but it, it might be a little bit ahead of schedule. I mean, if this pace keeps up and the Ottawa 67s are in the mix, top four end of the season, maybe James Boyd is shopping at the deadline instead of standing pat, but it, it might be a team just a little bit ahead of its, at least my anticipated development curve. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And you saw Ottawa was a team who I'm not even sure they knew what they had when you look at the way they went about things in the offseason, left a, an overage spot empty. We're planning to run with some young players and, and see how things went. So they weren't committing to uh, to a go for it here. But a 9-0 start will sure change the mentality of the GM in a hurry, and we'll see what he does. Okay, I'm going to do a plug within the podcast here, but work with me because there's a method to my madness. Uh, Bill Bowler is the general manager of the Windsor Spitfires, and I'm just thinking about him in the context of what we just said about Connor McDavid and has been putting up points and playing the game in this way basically his whole life. Bill Bowler was an exceptional hockey player as well and was putting up huge points in what we used to call midget hockey. And then when he got to the Ontario Hockey League draft, a GM had asked him, well, do you think you're going to be able to replicate that in major junior? And he said, well, do you still play three 20-minute periods? Is there going to be 60 minutes of hockey? Because if if you're playing the game the way I've always played it, yes, I'm going to put up points. I, I bring that up because if you if you miss that little clip of Bill Bowler, you'll find it on our Instagram page at the OHL podcast. And you can catch up on previous episodes just looking up the episode with Bill Bowler. So that's the plug within the podcast. He's been on before. You can catch that little clip on the Instagram page at the OHL podcast. And I bring him up because he probably doesn't want me saying this out loud. I'm sure everybody in Windsor would just like to be, shh, pay no attention to what's going on behind the curtain here in the border city. But while they're not completely unblemished a la Ottawa at 9-0, there's still a zero in the loss column in regulation for the Windsor Spitfires. And they're chugging right along with points in every game through 10% of the season. Yeah, and how about a little tip of the cap for Mark Savard? I mean, when last year he comes into a situation where a lot of skeptics said, oh, yeah, I can't anyone that roster, they're going to do well with it. How good is he really? Well, he's showing it right now. And we know he had some National Hockey League interest in the offseason, opted to return. But uh, but a lot of kudos to what's happening in Windsor right now. But certainly the, the top of that list is Mark Savard for what he's doing with the roster that turned a lot of players over. I think that's a great point to make and especially then when you're saying no to those pro offers depending on you know, i'm not in the negotiations or i don't know what's what the conversations are about but we know that at least some tires were being kicked and you'd expect to come back to a team that's certainly in rebuild mode and now you're looking at the squad the way it's started out and might still might still get wyatt johnston returned at some point <laughs> that's a scary thought i'm um, watching wyatt johnson blow through ontario uh in Montreal as well this week and the NHL trip starting to, I'm not sure if I'm changing my opinion. I initially said 50, 50, whether he be back, he looked pretty good to me at the NHL. He was pretty effective in in his minutes, despite no points in, in the games I saw. But uh, if he ever showed up in Windsor again, do we have to call them a contender or one would have to think so? Well, and we know the way the Spitfires go, it's usually like an all or nothing sort of thing. They had back-to-back championships. Then they had a Western Conference Finals appearance uh, before being bounced after, like, in three straight years, they were that good. Then they disappear for a while, 
and they don't win a playoff round until last year when they go all the way to the OHL final again. I know they won that Memorial Cup in there, but that was when they were the host and they got bounced in the first round. But Windsor seems to have this way of not just sticking around for a little while. They're like that unwanted relative that just won't go home again. They've tasted the success and they're not shy about duplicating it season over season. Yeah, and what and what do we always hear and say about the winning culture, right? And we talk about this with urging fans to fill their buildings. That's part of the winning culture you develop. And and when you get it, it lasts for quite a while. You have the right people in place, the right systems and development processes in place. And you can legitimately be competitive, or at least in the mix every year. And people think that's impossible to do at the junior level with so much roster turnover. But there are franchises that have proven you can. Um, however they do it. And I'd, I'd say that winning culture is a piece of it in Windsor right now. So stop me if you've heard me say this before, even already on this episode, but it's early. And I keep emphasizing that because anybody who jerks their knee too quickly at this time of the season can look like a fool much later on in the season. So again, I'll take you back a week ago. We were talking about the Flint Firebirds having just had a viewing of them in Kitchener, the market where we call home. And we thought, you know what, this team still kind of the preseason darlings in the West will be fine. It's just going to find itself and whatnot. But as much as we still maybe thought that of Flint, I'm starting to think the other way in Guelph. And again, I know we're not even 10 games in, but one regulation win for the Guelph Storm. And if you look at their most recent loss, which came Saturday to the Kitchener Rangers when they were up three to one and lost in overtime, it's almost as though the storm are finding different ways to lose games. It's just, it's not a good scene right now, early or not. This is a struggling hockey club in the moment. You know, it really is. And, and you look for reasons why, and we could probably point to three or four. Their, their special teams have been horrendous, especially the penalty kill. Their, their goaltending has been spotty. Their, their general team cohesion, I would say, is, is an issue. You're not, you're not seeing that, that, five-man uh, dialed-in uh, puck movement that you sometimes would see with the Guelph Storm power play last year. And and you look at that roster, and there's just so much talent. But you got to wonder where it gets turned around here because you referenced the game on Saturday, and you've got a, a testy Guelph Storm team that had just lost another game coming home to play an arch rival. If you had told me they come home in that condition – and are gifted nine power plays to one for the opponent, one of which was a major, so let's just call it the 10 to one ratio, had that lead you talked about and still managed to lose it. And you got to wonder how tensions are in that room right now, because it's just not clicking for that team right now. And you talk about the talent that's there, right? Probably starts with Sasha Pastajoff. You've got a guy like Danny Jilkin. You've got a guy like Braden Bowman. You've got a guy like Cooper Walker. And those are just naming some of the big forwards up on that roster to say nothing about the defense. I think Jake Murray's a really nice add on the back end for Guelph. They've already got Cam Allen there, et cetera. But it's just really hard. And I'm, oh, I'm always so loath to start pointing a finger at one particular position. But we know how important that position is. And you do have to wonder if the Guelph Storm aren't just having a little too much trouble right now getting timely saves when they need them. Yeah, and it's it's analogous to the opponent they played on Saturday as well, right? Where the Kitchener Rangers, it wasn't that Jackson Parsons was the issue early in the season, but they went out and got a veteran like Marco Costantini, and suddenly you're getting that one or two saves early in the in the game that change your confidence. 
And what happens? The team gets confidence. The team starts playing better. And of course, now Jackson Parsons comes back with a win. So you got to wonder if Guelph's going to go out and start looking for, for that save here and there. And again, it's, it's not to keep any of the blame on the current goaltending, but when your team is fragile, low on confidence and not finishing, that one or two pucks they sneak through that might not have are all the difference. And, and we're seeing some of that talent they have on forward, the Braden Bowmans and Carabellas and the names that you mentioned, just lacks gripping the sticks a little tightly as the saying goes. And you're seeing some of those chances, they're still getting some of those chances, but the pucks are going high and wide. They're going right into the center of the goaltender, things that you weren't seeing last year. And you know, the dam is going to break. And they always say that cliche that getting the chances is the important thing. If that's the case, Guelph will, will be fine. But, but that confidence is fragile right now and they need something to boost it. And that might be a move in that. Who knows? More than one person said to me this past weekend while in Guelph, that they wished the Storm had done something like the Rangers had done. You just mentioned that Costantini deal. It's not like Jackson Parsons was the problem for the Rangers through their first five games, all losses, but just that stability in goal means a lot. And, and look what's happened. I guess it would be unfair of us to talk about the reversal of fortunes for the Kitchener Rangers without mentioning Philip Machar. My goodness. Well, as you know, I'm a little biased here being a Habs fan and he's, uh, first round pick of the Habs this year, but uh, what a what a skill player that is, and and probably if you talk about just what the doctor ordered, almost as much as Costantini and Net uh, was speed and skill up front. Um, They're just lacking a little bit of that dynamism. And if you watch Philip Machar's two games, the biggest change I noticed in the Kitchener Rangers with him was the opposing D's were backing off a little bit in the neutral zone. With Kitcher's lack of speed and attack, pace on attack, often that neutral zone was getting clogged up. They weren't afraid to press the Rangers. The Rangers were having an awful lot of trouble establishing the neutral zone and getting control. Suddenly, you hand that puck off to Mishar at, at your own blue line. He gets ahead of steam. Those That retreat happens a little quicker. The zone's gained a little easier, and suddenly you're in business. So one or two players, one or two different dynamics added to your team can sure make a difference. And I think all the GMs are paying attention, so you, you wouldn't – you would expect to see some moves, I think, in the next month, Mike. Something else that's been mentioned to me, I'll just throw it out here, and it's bold. But is Philip Machar the most dynamic player to be in the Kitchener Rangers lineup? Dynamic insofar as when he has the puck on his stick, you expect something to happen, and then it does. Granted, two games worth of viewing so far, but is he the most dynamic the Rangers have seen since a guy named Landeskog? Yeah, and I mean, from a straight puck skill point, you might even say potentially more than, like Gabe's a terrific player, don't get me wrong. I think all around you're going to be a little bit higher than Mishar, but uh, just pure dynamism with the puck and with his skating, yeah, for sure. You go back to, you know, Landeskog, Jeff Skinner to get names that you're probably thinking of in that in that bracket. Um, and I think watching Mishar's first period in, in uh, a Ranger jersey, He'd be the first to admit nerves were there, a few puck bobbles, uh, adjustments to the system where he's supposed to be. But the learning curve seems pretty quick with that kid. And he's a mature kid that played with men last year. And you can see it because I think within two games, he's already taking on a leadership role in this team and just giving them an entirely different look. You mentioned being a Habs fan and how excited that makes you for a guy like Mashar. I got to say, Dan, look, I, I live with a Habs fan. It, it puts the marriage on the rocks at times. I'm not going to lie as a Leafs fan. But I was just saying to my better half the other night, 
frankly, how jealous I am. Like if the Leafs don't do it in the window that they've got right now, we're just going to sit back and watch the Montreal Canadiens do what we were just talking about the Windsor Spitfires doing in the Ontario Hockey League because they look poised with their talent. You look at Arbor Jack guy, Slafoski, if I'm getting that name pronounced properly, forgive me, uh, Caulfield, add Machar to the mix. I mean, put a goaltender in there at some point and it's just, what a course, Suzuki, keep going. Yeah, I mean, uh, as a Hab fan, I like the pillars of turning a franchise around are drafting well and often. Often is a big key. They've acquired a whole bunch of picks, which means hedge your bets, and then developing them properly. And as an OHL fan and a Habs fan, this is going to be a really exciting year because you've got a whole stable of high-end Habs prospects. You know, Vinny Rohrer in Ottawa, Owen Beck in Mississauga, Mashar. Kitchener, Mayu in London, even got Sobolov in Windsor, uh, you know, probably forgetting one or two. They've got so many playing in the OHL this year, but it's, it's, it's a great year to be a Hab fan and OHL fan. Just to bring it back to the Guelph-Kitchener game for a moment, and again, I'm going to make it all about me and also cross-promote within this podcast. The OHL podcast YouTube channel is a place that you'll find all kinds of content, and one of the things that I've been doing this season is every rink that I go to, try to give you a little behind the scenes kind of backstage pass to what it looks like from the media's point of view and just take you in behind areas you might not usually get to. I've got a a soft spot for the city of Guelph because that's where I got to do my first OHL broadcast more than 20 years ago now. And it's a really nice arena there in Guelph. Used to be the Guelph Sports and Entertainment Center. Now, of course, the Sleeman Center. But it's, it's perfect, I think, for junior hockey. It makes me think so. There's, there's always that fondness, but the rivalry, Dan, I don't know how you feel about Guelph Kitchener as a rivalry these days. I don't think it's what it used to be, but let me tell you, and, and I can't remember the exact year, but what used to happen up in the, in the media area uh, before teams started having their own guys that would travel or cut tape or cut video for them, uh, there would be a, a stationary camera up in the media booth that would record the game and then the team would take it so they could go back to the rink and do whatever work with their video crew there. So just because it's such a long walk from the media box in Guelph down to the dressing room, at the end of the game, the guy that would shoot that video in, in the arena in Guelph would hand me the DVD to take down to the team at the end of the game because I was going down there anyway. Well, one night, and I wish I could remember the personnel, but... The Rangers scored a late goal to basically seal a win. I think it might have even been an empty netter. And then Steve Spott sent out three forwards that were, let's just say, not shrinking violets. They were big guys. And I guess I didn't even notice. By that point, I guess I was making my notes, whatever, this game is over. This video guy was so incensed. He basically chased me down the stairs from the press box towards the dressing room and he, he isn't even going to give me the DVD yet. Cause he's so angry at the personnel that Steve spot had put on the ice. I'm like, dude, I'm just here to say he shoots, he scores, but that was the passion of the rivalry, say a decade or so ago between Guelph and Kitchener. I was thinking about that this past weekend that I wanted to share the story on the pod. Oh, that's a great story. And, and yeah, I think nostalgia is always, uh, shifts your uh, your memory of, of what actually happened but I think I'm pretty confident in saying that a lot of these rivalries were were at an intensity that current fans may not know or, or understand and 
and that's that's one example and the further back you go as the physicality of the game was ramped up it was just intense and it'd be nice to see some of that back between Kitcher and Guelph and and Oshawa and Peterborough and you name some of these these key rivalries but uh but it makes everything a little bit more fun certainly does that so there's the other again promo shamelessly within the pod check out the OHL podcast on YouTube for more great content. If you're not watching this on YouTube right now. And of course, if you're listening, like subscribe, give us a review, shoot us an email anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Before we get to our prospect of the week, uh, it is the email inbox. OHL podcast at rogers.com. This comes in Dan from Vince asks the question, wondering why the OHL doesn't weigh draft lottery probability so that the lowest ranked team has the best chance to win the top pick. My city of residence should give away why I'm asking. Vince is from St. Catharines, so he wants the Ice Dogs to have an even better chance of getting the top pick next year. But my initial thought on this is because there are only four teams. It's different than the National Hockey League that way when obviously there are more teams that miss the playoffs. If you're if you've got a one in four chance, I don't know that you need to wait it a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, and I think you just hit the nail on the head. That was gonna be my answer as well. With only four teams, it's it's pretty hard to give it any kind of waiting. And obviously when the league's actively trying to discourage tanking, quote unquote, uh, you wouldn't want any team trying to increase their odds by losing their last two or three games uh, when fans have bought tickets to it, etc. So I feel for you, Vince. When you finish last and do a tough, a tough year, you really want to, uh, you really want that top pick. Um, having said that, I with four teams, no problem with the equal weighting. All four deserve a high pick; they need it. So, so I think that's where we're at with that one. I wouldn't worry about too much, Vince. The Ice Dogs will just trade for whatever they need. Seems to be the uh, mo right now in St. Catharines. Okay, let's move on to our prospect of the week. This is something that Dan and I will be bringing you. On every Tuesday episode, the draft-eligible player that stood out most to us, and I swear to you, it was a simple, hey, Dan, here's an idea over text. He's like, I love it, and all of a sudden, we both had the same guy. So why, Dan, did Hunter Brustevich stand out to you this week? Okay, and I recognize we're based in Kitchener, and this is going to sound like a homer pick, but um, having said that, I'm just going to say Hunter Brustevich jumped out to me the first preseason game when he shot a lightning 40 foot pass tape to tape to it to spring a teammate on a breakaway and i thought we haven't seen someone that can do that in quite a while and I thought, well is this a one-off but then you watch the way he spun off players and i talked to a, an nhl scout about him and described his skating as smooth as butter and really high on this kid um wasn't sure whether he was going to play a shutdown role an offensive role or some hybrid and i'm seeing a bit of a hybrid so far and on a kitchen rangers defense that has been body i would think would be fair to say the least in the first few games of the year uh the one constant is the 17 year old who just seems to to ooze skill and composure and racked up 10 assists most of them primary in his first eight games in the league so big tip of the cap to hunter who i think is got to be improving his draft stock as we speak so of those 10 assists two in his first eight games it's seven straight games he did not register a point in his OHL debut, he's had a point in every game since. I was particularly impressed, and I noticed the same things you had, especially that passing ability. But this past weekend, when Tomas Hamara got injured for the, or pardon me, got kicked out of the game, slew foot, match penalty, uh, Brustevich had to pick up so much more ice time and was just so effective. He's so cool with the puck. But I'm going to take this a little bit away from what you see on the ice and 
again, I want to preface this by saying I'm not trying to say he's going to be the next player because I'm going to compare him to a forward. It's just there's this element of his, his personality, frankly, of his person that reminds me of somebody else. And that's Gabriel Landeskog. Uh-huh. Okay, you haven't laughed me off the podcast yet. I'll tell you why. From the minute Landeskog showed up in Kitchener, he, you knew that he was there because he was making the step to the next thing. He was basically a pro hockey player already, just in the way he carried himself. My favorite story to bring that point home was after a game in Erie, the Rangers won, and the coaching staff decided to reward the team with a stop at McDonald's. The bus goes crazy. The kids are thrilled. They get to eat McDonald's after the game, which doesn't happen every day, obviously. So bus gets to McDonald's. Everybody piles off, comes back on with their bag of greasy smelling food and Big Macs and quarter pounders all around. And what does Gabe Landeskog walk back onto the bus with? A salad and a bottle of water. That just showed the mindset of the guy. Hunter Brustevich carries himself, not that I've seen the salad and bottle of water thing yet, but he carries himself in such a way. He's poised. He's got this way of speaking to you that's just, it's beyond his years. And I know so much goes into drafting a player these days beyond just what they do on these. What kind of person are they? What kind of character do they have? And I'm already starting to see some of those characteristics, those personality traits in Hunter Brustevich that I've seen in former players that have gone on and you knew would become pro. So I have no doubt this guy is destined to be a pro. Uh, am I saying as the prospect of the week, he's a potential first rounder? Sure. But no matter what, this guy has got pro written all over him by the way he conducts himself away from the game, as much as you probably like what you're seeing from him during the game. So this happened by accident. We both had the same guy. So we said, okay, for fun, let's add an honorable mention. Let's see. We haven't even talked about this yet. Who would your honorable mention be this week? All right. Only because they've earned it with their 9-0 start, I have to throw an honorable mention at Luca Pinelli. Not the biggest player there, but another one that's putting himself squarely on NHL radar for his draft year, just based on his early season production. We know he produced last year, probably beyond what they expected. And already over point a game, here we go with the Ottawa 67s at 17 years old, uh, so my honorable mention is is uh, Luca Pinelli this week. How about yours, Mike? Okay, nice one. It gave him a little bit of thought, but I landed back on Colby Barlow, who was frustrated as all can be early in the season and then finally found it with a hat trick versus the Kitchener Rangers. He's now got six goals in his past five games. Certainly not unexpected from Barlow, even coming into the season after what he did as a rookie, but... I think he's starting to find it a little bit. Owen Sound's starting to trend back in the right direction. So Colby Barlow gets my honorable mention this week behind Hunter Brustevich, who is the prospect of the week here for the OHL podcast. And unbeknownst to each other, we also kind of had a, a dishonorable mention to make. So who have you got in that department? Are you sure you want me to go first? I might steal your thunder. So, <laughs> Well, okay. Um, sure. You let me go first on the... Uh, well, yeah, you threw it back to me, so I'll, I'll start with this one and then throw it over to you. Uh, and, and this came from a conversation I had, so the idea comes from another scout, really. But we were chatting before a game on the weekend, and he was just talking about some of the guys that haven't jumped out to him yet the way that he expected to. And the name that he said, and then I watched more closely, I'm like, hmm, I see where he's coming from. Mr. Cam Allen has not yet begun to do what everybody, I loved, look, I still love this kid, but 
based on what I saw from him last year, I would have expected him to be dominating already. Obviously, it's a struggling team, but this scout said to me, I don't see top 10 in him. And then I got to see him 24 hours later. I'm like, okay, Cam Allen didn't really jump off the ice to me when I saw him on Saturday. This is why I let you go first, Mike, because I did not want to steal your thunder, but that, that was mine as well. And and again, it's early. I'm a big believer that Cam Allen has what it takes to be an NHL player. We're not throwing him under the bus yet, but clearly in the first month of play, underwhelming, underperforming, did not expect to see Cam Allen at minus seven at this stage of the game. Uh, mediocre point production so far, I think five points in nine games. Uh, just not leaping off the page at you like you would expect. And I think when you see these situations, you can tell how much the pressure is ramping up behind the scenes. Suddenly there's pressure on the coach, you know, am I utilizing him properly? There's pressure from the parents, you know, my, my son's slipping on the, on the rankings. So you get all these dynamics happening in the background that casual fans don't often think about. And often it can show up on the ice one way or the other for better or for worse. So uh, I'm assuming the ship will get righted for Cam Allen. We all saw him at the U18s. So there's a reason you and I picked him as a as a huge dark horse to. I picked him as one of the top D in the league this year, and I still still believe he'll get there. But but yeah, for the uh, the this week at this stage of the game, Mike, we share the same dishonorable mention. It's so funny the way this. So we both had the same prospect of the week pick in Brustevich. We both had the same guy that isn't doing what we both expected him to do. I had him ranked as and I still believe him to be one of the best defensemen in the league he's just not showing it right now yet and you get an honorable mention for Luca Pinelli I give the honorable mention to Colby Barlow we will bring you more of this as the season goes on one thing I'm looking forward to Dan is just when we arrive at the point where we can stop saying it's early I know but it is we're four weeks in things will sort themselves out I think there's reason to be a little bit concerned in Guelph right now. And I think there's reason to be virtually ecstatic in Ottawa right now. Absolutely. And if, and if I could leave you with one thought about that and related to the Cam Allen thing, I've got, I've got one silver lining for him and one thing to be worried about. And I'll start with the negative. You're trying to get in the top 10 of this year's NHL draft. You're going to have to bring it because it's going to be a stacked top 10. So the early season uh, issues are a problem. But the silver lining is stacked with forwards. So those teams that really need a defender are still going to be come calling for a guy like Cam Allen if he can rate that ship a little. So, but yeah, it's uh, there's some early season um, storylines, I guess we could say, developing. He is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Email this podcast anytime like Vince did. We'll respond to your question. We'll book the guest you're asking to hear from. OHL podcast at rogers.com. And please give the podcast a like, give it a review, tell a friend about it. Subscribe, please. Also on Instagram at the OHL podcast. Find the YouTube channel if you haven't already. The OHL podcast coming up on Friday. Our guest, I bet you know the name, Dan. He scored the biggest goal in Owen Sound Attack franchise history. There's no argument about it. Don't tell the name if you know it. You know it though, don't you? (laughs) I remember it. (laughs) There you go. I think everybody remembers that name. The question is, does he remember the goal? Okay, yes, he does. And he's going to join us on the OHL podcast on Friday. That's when your next episode will be out.
do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.